How many are grateful this morning for the goodness of God? Amen. Well, in your notes this morning, if you will pull out to your bulletin and get your notes out together, we're going to go right to Psalm uh, 22. And we're going to look at today the word alone. And it comes from Psalm 22 and verse 11. Now, I know many of you are wondering, you see a little shiner underneath my, my left eye. You're probably wondering what happened. Well, let me tell you, I, uh, on, on Monday morning, I ran into Will Smith. <laughs> and I told him a joke that he didn't like. And <laughs> Psalm 22. David said, do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help me. I want you to think of a time in your life when you were alone, no one to help, all by yourself in your darkest moment. We all share one common emotion, and, and Sandra alluded to that this morning. There's been a time in your life when, when you were wondering, God, where are you? There's no one to help me. I'm all by myself. I'm all alone. No one likes to be alone. And I kind of got this, this funny illustration. I'm going to show you a, a short little video clip. Uh, have you ever seen the, the jumbotrons uh, at, their, uh, at the Orlando Arena or at a football stadium? And uh, they have you know, 25, 50, 100,000 people sitting in an auditorium. And during halftime or during the quarter or during the intermission or something like that, the camera goes around and it shows people randomly that are in the audience. You ever seen that? What I find interesting about that is that people get excited, watch this, about being noticed. They're one of 100,000 people in a stadium, and out of 100,000 people, the camera focuses on me, and their reactions are amazing. Let's watch this clip of a Jumbotron reset. Watch this. Play this, guys. Yeah, see me. Notice me. Now, you don't know this, but here at Pinecastle, we have our own little jumbotron that we play every single week. And you get noticed every once in a while. So let's watch this and just see where the jumbotron comes to today, and we'll see who gets noticed in the, uh, in the sanctuary today. So go ahead, guys. Uh -oh. oh. Oh, good. There's Bruce and Lisa and... Hi, Mark. Welcome. Good to have you with us, Mark. <laughs> That's our youth pastor. Everybody likes to be noticed. And today we're going to talk about the, the concept that God sees you. You are not alone. We're going to go to a crazy story 
in Genesis chapter 16. It is so crazy that I don't think I've ever preached on this story because I've tried to avoid it for all these years. This is stuff that Jerry Springer dreams of. And it's a story of Sarah, Abraham, and Hagar. It is messy. It's going to make some of you feel real uncomfortable. It is chaotic. It's messy. It's ugly. And I love it. I love it because life is messy. And we all try to pretend that, that, that we've got it all together and that life is good and we don't ever have any troubles. But this story here in Genesis chapter 16, it's going to make some of you blush. Some of you are going to be embarrassed. Some of you are going to wonder, what in the world, why did God put that story in there? And he put stories like this in the Bible to remind us that life is full of the unexpected. It's messy. It's ugly. It's confusing. Sometimes chaotic and full of drama. But in the end, God is always glorified. Now, we're not going to read the whole story in Genesis chapter 16. I'm going to give you Cliff's Notes version. So hang on, get ready. And don't get mad at me because I didn't write this. <laughs> Sarah and Abraham, they're, 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 they're in their 90s. Sarah is barren. She's unable to have children. They want to have children. So Sarah wakes up one day and has this crazy idea. She thought to herself, I've got a maid from Mary Maids. Her name is Hagar. And she walked into her husband's bedroom with this brilliant idea. Abraham, I want you to sleep with my maid, Hagar. And the Bible says that Abraham agreed. Some of you are getting embarrassed already. What a novel thought. What a crazy thought. I'm not going to ask you men if you've ever had. But here's Sarah coming in to Abraham, and here's her idea. I want you to sleep with our maid. And Abraham said, yes, ma'am, I'll do it. Probably had a smile on his face. I don't know, John. If you want to know how Abraham responded, see John after service. He's going to tell you. He said, yes, ma'am, just like we all do. When our wives come up with great ideas, men, what do we do? Yes, ma'am, I'll sleep with the maid. And he slept with the maid. And guess what? She got pregnant. And then Sarah had another novel idea. After she found out that Abraham slept with Hagar, Hagar gets pregnant, Sarah goes to Abraham and says, it's your fault. <laughs> you talk about a crazy story. Jerry Springer loves this stuff. And the Bible says that Hagar decided to run away. She'd had it. Sarah was mad. Abraham was in a world of trouble by obeying what his wife told him to do. And Hagar decides to leave, to flee. I don't know. Maybe she read the scripture that David wrote in Psalms where David said, if I had the wings of a dove, I could fly away and I could be at rest. It's interesting. Hagar's name means 
to flee. Aren't we all like Hagar? Just, just a little bit. When life gets tough, when life is chaotic, when life is crazy, when life doesn't happen the way you think it's going to happen, some of our reaction is just like, Hagar, I'm just going to flee. But do you know today that, that, that you can never outrun God? There's not a place on this earth that you can go that you're going to escape the goodness of God coming after you. And as crazy as the story is, you can't make it up, church. Hagar flees and she runs. And the Bible says that, 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 that she had a, a beautiful encounter with the angel of the Lord. In fact, let me read this to you. This is in Genesis chapter 16. And I love this so much. Uh, it says in verse 7, And the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road, sure. Now watch this. She's a refugee. She's homeless. She is poor. She is hungry. She is thirsty. She is confused. And she is alone. And the angel of the Lord confronts her on the road called Shur. S-H-U-R. That word there, Shur, means a wall. A wall. Watch this. You hit a wall. You reach the place where you are alone, you're afraid, you're homeless, you're confused, and you hit that wall. There's nowhere else to go. And Hagar, as she's fleeing from this crazy situation, she hits a wall and God confronts her. How many of you are here today and you've ever hit a wall? You run. You're hopeless, confused, pregnant, lost, and you hit a wall. And God shows up. And I love what God does in this situation. And he does it in your life, he does it in my life every single day. God simply, as she hits a wall, as she's fleeing from this crazy situation, God in verse, uh, Genesis chapter 16, verse 8, asks her two simple questions. And these are really questions I want you to answer today. And here's the question that God asked Hagar on the road to shore. Number one, where have you come from? And where are you going? I love that. Where have you come from? Which speaks of your past. And then the second question is, where are you going? God has a beautiful way through the power of questions to get to the root issue of what's happening in Hagar's life. And guess what? He does that to you and he does it to me every single day. You know, God is really good at asking questions. And here's Hagar. She's running from God, running from life. She's hit a wall and God says, where have you come from? Now, I know all of you have an answer to that question. Where have you come from? Because we've all come from different backgrounds, right? We've all got different stories. We've all got different experiences. Sandra shared a few minutes ago some of her experiences. Some of you have very, very similar experiences. And God asked you the question today, where have you come from? And it's important where you've come from. But the most important question is not where you have come from. The most important question is, where are you going? Where are you going? 
Hagar, you're hopeless, you're confused, you're alone, you're running, you hit a wall, and the angel speaks to you today, and he asks you that question, where are you going? I was watching basketball last night. I know I should have been praying, I should have been studying, I should have been reading my Bible, but I was watching basketball. Like a lot of you. Beautiful interview with Hubert Davis, the, the, the head coach, first year coach of North Carolina, who by the way is going to the final game on Monday night, I'll be watching it. First year coach, he said the first day of practice, he got a big poster bl blown up and a picture of the Astrodome there in New Orleans, or the Superdome in New Orleans. And that's the, the place where the final four is, gonna, is, is being played. And as he rallied a couple dozen of his players, the first day of practice, he pointed to the pitcher in New Orleans and asked them a question. Do you want to go there? Before we play one game, before we start a practice, I want to point you to a goal. And my question to you today is, North Carolina, do you want to go there? See, God has a beautiful way of asking questions that get right to the heart. And here is Hagar running, hitting a wall, homeless, hopeless, alone, scared, afraid. And God says, I know where you've come from, but my real question today is, where are you going? And I'm wondering today if we had time over coffee, if I could ask you that same question, where are you going? It's important where you come from. It's more important to know where you're going. Now, I'm not talking about just going to heaven. I'm talking about in your remaining days here on earth, what are you doing? Where are you going? What are you accomplishing? Hagar, you can't run for the rest of your life. You've got to turn back around. You've got to go back and you've got to face what's going on because you're going somewhere. And God has a beautiful way of asking questions. And I've said this a hundred times here at this church. God doesn't ask questions because he doesn't know the answer. God asks questions because he wants you to know the answer. And how many times has he asked you questions? I find in my life that God speaks to me mostly through questions. Scott, why did you do that? And he doesn't answer why I did it. Why? He wants me to answer why I did it. Scott, why did you say that? Scott, why did you respond that way? God, why, Scott, why did you treat him like that? God has a way of asking questions, and those questions probe us for us to get to the answer so we know why we do what we do. I've listed a couple of uh, great examples in your notes. Look at them just for a few moments. Uh, Adam and Eve, where are you when they were hiding in the garden? To Eve, after she... Uh, part of the, of, of the apple. What is this that you have done? To Jacob, he confronted him and says, what is your name? To Moses, he asked the question, what is in your hand? To Elijah, he asked the question, what are you doing here, Elijah? To Job, he says, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? To Isaiah, he asked the question, whom shall I send? To Jonah, he asked the question, it is right for you to be angry? To Ezekiel, he said, son of man, can these bones live? And to Saul, he asked the question, why do you persecute me? I'm wondering if God's asking you questions today. And it's usually when you're running. It's usually when you're alone. It's usually when you're fleeing from a situation that God will ask you the question, I know where you've come from, but where are you going? 
Well, God confronted Hagar, and look at verse 13. After this confrontation, the Bible says that Hagar gave the Lord this name. And she gave him this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. Oh, that's powerful, church. That's one of the names of God. You are the God who sees me. The actual word is El Roy, the God who sees me. And in your notes, I want you to write this in right now. I've got it in my notes. I want you to write it in yours. At the bottom there it says, God sees, and I want you to write your name because God sees you today. His name is God El Roy. He's the God who sees, and he sees you. He saw Hagar. He saw Adam and Eve. He saw Jacob and Moses and Elijah. And he says to you today, I see you. God El Roy. You notice the, a number that is ticking on the screen right now. That's a population clock. That's the number of people in the world today. And right now it's 7,887,600,000. And it's going. I want you to see that number because although that's a big number, I want you to know that in your life and in your situation, with your grandkids, with your business, with your future, we serve a God who's called El Roy. He sees you. And he saw Hagar. And he said, I know this is a crazy situation. I know you didn't plan this. I know you weren't prepared for this. But I've confronted you on the road to shore. And I want you to know that you've hit a wall. But I see you. You matter. That's a powerful principle that all of us need to understand as we follow Christ. Can I get an amen? God sees me. Let's go to your notes real quickly and just let me give you a couple points here. God sees me when I feel, number one, God sees me when I feel alone. Everyone say that word alone. Look at Psalm 145 there. The Lord is near all who call to him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him and he hears and saves them. You are not alone in your being alone. I can't promise to solve all your problems quickly, but I can promise you that you will never have to face them by yourself. When you feel alone, God sees you. Can I get an amen? amen. Number two, God sees me when I feel lost. Psalm 25, verse 16. Turn to me, God, and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. God sees you when you're alone. Number two, God sees you when you feel lost. Number three, God sees you when you feel overwhelmed. How many has ever felt overwhelmed before? Guess what? When you feel overwhelmed, when you've hit the wall, when you've got nowhere else to go, you need to be reminded today that God sees you when you are overwhelmed. Let me give these to you. You're not going to you're not going to be able to write these down. There's too many of them. I'll have them on the website. You can see them. But let me tell you uh, 10 things to remember when you feel overwhelmed. Number 1, your emotions are natural. What you're feeling is natural. Number 2, 
You're not the only person to have faced this. I know we all feel like we've got problems and we're the only person in the world who's overwhelmed by this problem. And I want to tell you, out of 7.8 billion people, you are not the only one that is facing this situation you're faced with. Number three, I want you to be reminded when you're overwhelmed that things can turn around quickly in an instant. Things can turn around quickly. Things can change quickly. Keep your faith in God. Number, number four, this soon too shall pass. When you feel overwhelmed, this is going to pass. Number four, when you feel overwhelmed, remember God's faithfulness that he's shown you in your past. How many of God has been faithful? And when you remember his faithfulness, that gives you hope for the future. Number six, your problem may not be as bad as you think it is. May not be as bad as you think it is. Hang in there. I love this one, number seven. When you feel overwhelmed, find someone to lift you up, and then you go find someone to lift up. Look for a friend to lift you up so that you have the power to lift other people up. You'll find that when you help other people, you'll find that, that your troubles aren't as bad as what you think. There's a lot of people that are hurting. Find someone to lift you up, and then you go lift somebody else up. Number seven, a heart of gratitude helps immensely. Develop a heart of gratitude and focus on things that you're grateful for. When you're overwhelmed, focus on what you're grateful for. Number nine, you don't have to figure it out. You don't have to have, have all the answers. You don't have to be the answer all. When you're overwhelmed, you don't have to have the answer. Just trust in God. And number ten, when you are overwhelmed, remember, tomorrow will give you a new perspective. You know what I found sometimes? That when I go to bed with a big problem, a good night's rest changes everything. You get a good night's rest and you pray before you go to bed, you wake up the next morning, tomorrow gives you a whole new perspective. Those are some things that you can do when you feel overwhelmed. Can I get an amen? amen. Number four, God sees you when you're alone. God sees you when you're lost. God sees you when you're overwhelmed. Number four, God sees you when you're overlooked. Psalm 10.4, but you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are a helper to the Father. Now circle that word there. But God, you see. He's the God who sees you and he sees you when you are overlooked. Number five, quickly. God sees you when I feel hopeless. How many has ever felt hopeless? Yeah. Look what Psalm 40 verse 1 through 3 says. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. God sees you when you feel hopeless. Now, let me give you... I'm going to give you 10 more points here, and, and these are not on the notes, but uh, I'll get them to you. They'll be on the website for you to follow along. Uh, five or, or 10 things that God says to the hopeless. All right, are you ready? Let me hear an amen. amen. And as I was writing these yesterday, I know this sounds weird, but as I was writing these, these, these 10 things down, I sensed God's presence as I was writing them. Now, many times when I'm studying and reading, I, I, I'm just, 
I'm just doing my work. I'm working hard. But as I wrote these ten, I felt like God was saying these things to you today. And I felt the anointing of God. And I'm not saying that to try to sensationalize it or try to make me out bigger than anything. I'm just saying that when I wrote these things down, I felt God's presence as I was writing them. This is ten things that God says to the hopeless. If you've ever felt hopeless, you've ever felt like God doesn't see you and God's not aware, listen to what God says to you today. Number one, Bruce, if you go to the keyboard. Number one. I'm bigger than any problem you have. That's what God's saying to you today. He's saying to somebody today online, in the audience, God says, I'm bigger than any problem you have. Why is it that we as humans, we try to make our problems bigger than God? And you know how you breathe life into your problems? By focusing on them. By worrying on them. By putting your attention on your problem. The more you and I focus on our problems, the bigger our problems get. That's why God says don't worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough trouble of its own. But if you focus on and you fixate on your problems, you're breathing life into those problems. The thing that we ought to do is lift our eyes to the hills. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. And God says to you today, if you're hopeless, I am bigger than any problem. Number two, nothing is too hard for me. I like that. Nothing. Everyone say nothing. You know what that word nothing means? It means nothing. Nothing is too hard for me. Here's the third thing that God says to the hopeless. He says, my power is in you. My power is in you. Now watch this. God's power, he's full of power, but he's put his power in you. And he says to you today, if you're like Hagar and you're running and you're fleeing and you hit a wall, God says, my power is in you. Use the power that God has given you to fight hopelessness. Number four, I will always be with you. Number five, I love this one. God says, my whisper is stronger than other voices. Everybody say whisper. My whisper is stronger than any other voice. See, the enemy loves to shout. The enemy loves to scream. Watch this. God loves to whisper. And if you will hear the whisper of his voice, his whisper is stronger than any other voice you'll hear. He wants to whisper hope to you. He wants to whisper peace to you. He wants to whisper healing to you. Hear his whisper. Hear the small, still voice. His whisper is stronger than any other influence. Number six, God says, my history proves my faithfulness to you. God says, I stand behind my history. I stand behind my record. My history proves to you that I'm faithful. Church, and if God has been faithful to you a hundred times, what makes you think that he's going to give up on 101? Think about it. And God's like, oh, no. You had a hundred problems. I fixed all hundred of them. But now we're faced with 101 and, oh, I don't know about it. It's awful big. Don't know if I can do that. I'm off that week. No. If God has done it in the past a hundred times, why are we convinced that he can't do it 101? His arm is not too short. He can do it. Oh, I hope you get this this morning. 
God says to the hopeless, my history proves my faithfulness. I love this one, number seven. God says, and he's not bragging, but he can brag. He's God. He says, I am undefeated against the impossible. He's undefeated. I'm undefeated. Number eight, God says, you can trust me. If you're hopeless, Hagar, you can trust me again and 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 again. You're never alone. You can trust me again. That's what God says to us today. Number nine, God says to you today, when you're at your weakest, I'm at my best. When you're weak, then I'm strong. I got this. And then here, this is what God says. I love this one. Last one. God says to the hopeless, watch this. He says, I see you. I know you feel like you're one of 7.8 billion people in the world. But God says to the hopeless, I see you. And God orchestrated a beautiful experience on the road to Shnor for Hagar, who was hopeless and hungry and thirsty and lost and overwhelmed. Oh, God, your God, El Royai, the God who sees me. God says to you today, I see you. I know you feel alone. I know you feel overlooked and overwhelmed and lost and hopeless. God says, I see you today. In 1905, a pastor and his wife by the name of Cravilla Martin were up in New York City, and they, they visited a, a, a dear friend of theirs. The family's name was the, the Doolittles. Funny last name, Doolittle. But the pastor and his wife went to visit Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle. <clears throat> you would think that Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle had it all together, and, and the fact was they were, they were in a terrible, terrible situation. Both the husband and the wife had been bedridden for 20 years. 20. I know what I'm like when I've been bedridden for a day. 20 years, both husband and wife, 20 years. The Martins went in and, and sat down with them for a few minutes, and, and they, they noticed that the Doolittles were, were just filled with peace, and they were cheerful, and they were calm, and they weren't miserable, they weren't alone. And the Martins asked them this question, how can you be peaceful and cheerful and happy when you've been bedridden for 20 years. And Mrs. Doolittle with a smile on her face says, because his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Carilla Martin, that phrase, his eye is on the sparrow, popped to her. And in 1905, she went home that night, and pen the beautiful words, 
His eye is on the sparrow. I know he watches me.